Glory to God. Well, we're going to be in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, here this morning. Numbers, chapter 16. There was a story of a famous composer. I don't know which one. But this famous composer had a very rebellious son. And as he was older, that rebellion continued. And he would come in late at night, after, well after mom and dad were in bed, well after they, um, they had retired. And he would come in, and not only before he would go to his room, he would go to his father's piano. And he would sit at the piano, and he would play a scale. Just a simple scale. And he would play it all the way and leave off the last note. He didn't play it softly. He played it loudly. And the father would hear this, and in his mind, he keeps completing the scale. And it would keep him up. And he couldn't go to sleep because the scale wasn't completed. So finally, he would get up out of bed, and he would go down to the piano, he'd play the last note to complete the scale because of rebellion that was inside of his son. One of the things I don't think we always realize is that when we operate in an area outside of submission, we operate in an area of rebellion. And rebellion has an effect upon the people around us. Look at the story here in Numbers chapter 16. Familiar story. We don't cover it that much. We do refer to it every once in a while. But uh, I bet you every single person in this church knows this story (laughs) because it is one of those stories that you just don't forget. In Numbers chapter 16 and verse 1, Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dothan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. Now, if you want to know who Korah is, we're going to try and abbreviate some of this and, and just get to the, the meat uh, of all this you can go back you write this verse down it's not in your, your outline if he, uh, Exodus chapter 6 verse 18 to 21 Exodus chapter 6 verse 18 to 21 it will give you the breakdown the genealogies that are involved once you get through and you read that what you're going to find is this here's the end result Korah is the cousin of Moses just so we're all on this, the same page we know what that is he's the cousin of, of Moses so they're family how, how does family treat you Understand where Moses is, is at here. Sometimes we don't always get the respect we want from family members, do we? Because they're, they're familiar. So Korah was Moses' cousin. He was a Levite. Now, all the, there's 250 men that it lists here, beside the names that it were given. There's 250 men that they rise up and they bring into this uh, as they come before Moses. So the 250 plus the other leaders that are, that are mentioned. Are these 250 men submitted? The answer is yes. Who are they submitted to? Korah. Korah raises them up. They are submitted to Korah. Now, who is Korah submitted to? Let's take a look at the choices. Is he submitted to Moses? No. Moses, he's rising up against Moses. Is he submitted to the word? No, as we go on in this passage, we're going to see that he wants a position that is not given to him by the Word of God. Is he submitted to God? No. Then who is Korah submitted to? No one but either himself or the enemy. 
You can't find submission for anything else. But in Korah's mind, who is he submitted to? You know the story. Korah thinks he is doing something for God. But when we break it down, he's neither submitted to God, nor his word, nor to Moses, who God put in charge. So he's doing his own thing, but he's submitted to God. Here's the problem we have folks in churches anymore, is a whole lot of people do their own thing and think they're submitted to God. They cause problems in the body, and they think everyone else is the, pro- is the cause. Now, last week we were talking about, uh, in the area of su- submission, we've talked before about what submission is not. And Ethel did a great job of already reviewing that here in the beginning, and uh, not gonna, uh, we don't need to do that again. But one of the things that submission is not is submission is not agreement. Last week we were talking about how you can grow in the area of submission. And the ar- areas that you grow is those areas where you disagree with what or whom you are submitted to. The only place you can have growth in submission is when you don't agree. That's it. You cannot grow in the area of submission if you agree. You can be on the outside. You can look submitted. And by and large, you are. But agreement is not submission. What is submission? Things outside of agreement. If I agree, I'm basically doing what I want. It's when we don't agree. The example we use, Jesus in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. Which means what Jesus did, he didn't want to do. Well, that's just one place. We've got a second place we're going to get to later on, uh, hopefully today. We plan on getting it today. Hopefully we'll get in there, to, in there today. But Dothan, Abiram, they're submitted to Korah. These guys, they're not submitted to Moses. They have switched their submission. Why did they switch their submission? Because they didn't agree with Moses. Because they didn't agree, they didn't put themselves in submission, and therefore they did their own thing. Now, agreement is not agree, or, I'm sorry, submission is not agreement. Submission is not forced. Moses is not there to you will submit, you will do it my that's not submission. If they do that, You are not growing in the area of submission. If the only way you can do what you do not agree with is that someone forces you, you will not grow in the area of submission. How did Jesus grow in the area of submission? Word of God talked. We talked about it last week. The Word of God went over. He learned obedience through suffering. Where does the suffering occur? When I do what I don't want to do. That's where growth occurs. If you are on a diet, how is it that you grow in that diet? By doing what you don't want to do. I want to eat the pizza. I want to eat the cheesecake. But what are you going to do? You're going to take your will and submit it to whatever diet or thing that you are on. You're going to bring that will into submission. And therefore, you will grow in the diet. Hopefully, you won't grow. That's what most diets are for, right? Keep us from growing. That's the, that's the whole idea, what we need to do. I'll put this in your outline for you. Wrong submission will trace back to rebellion. 
Those folks are submitted to Korah. Korah is not submitted to the right things. And we find out that God calls this whole thing rebellion. Wrong submission will trace back to rebellion. So we've got to make sure we stay out of the area of wrong submission. Because not only are we not going to grow, we're going to find ourselves fighting against God and hurting ourselves. It's imperative that we understand what wrong submission is and that we stay out of it. Warning signs need to be going off. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. But really, who are they gathered against? God. And that will come out in the passage. It's going to come out. You're not doing this to me. You're doing this to God. Number Verse 3. They gathered therefore against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? What they want is they're tired of their position. They want a different position. They want to do what Aaron is doing. Aaron is the high priest. They are a Levite. They want to do what Aaron is doing. They feel that they are qualified. They feel that they are called. They feel that they can do a good job. Here's their qualifications. We feel that all of us are holy. Every one of us. You're taking on too much for yourselves. All the congregation is holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Here's what they're looking at for the qualifications of why we can do what you're doing. We are holy as you are holy, and the Lord is among us like you. He's among you. That's not the qualifications, folks. And we still use these same qualifications today. How many times have you seen somebody in a position that you desire? What is it that you compare yourself to with them? Or what is the enemy trying to get in your thoughts to compare yourself to someone else. Well, God is with me. Right? I live a better life than they do. It's the same qualifications, folks. We're, we're coming down to the same thing. We want to pull other people out of their positions and put ourselves in them simply because the same reasons that Korah wanted to do it. He's missing one aspect here and it'll come out later on. He's missing one aspect that they don't qualify for. They weren't chosen. They weren't called. That's what was missing. And they bypassed that. Don't bypass it. Have the respect of that like David did with Saul. He's a called one. He didn't compare his holy life to Saul's unholy life. He looked at Saul was called. He's appointed by God. I'm not going to step into that. And he learned some things. How many of y'all know he went through some suffering? Korah could go through some suffering right now and learn some stuff. He's not going to do it. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Okay, now it doesn't tell us why he fell on his face, and it doesn't tell us what he does when he falls on his face. Why, in the Bible, all the other times that we've seen it, why has Moses fallen on his face? Have you ever found a time when Moses has fallen on his face that he has not talked with God? that he has not interceded for, uh, to God for other people. Is there a time in the Word where Moses suddenly falls on his face and he is not involved in talking with God, interceding with God? I don't know of a single one. So though we are not told that he was talking to God or interceding for God, he falls on his face like he does other times. What do you think he's doing? I think he's talking to God, interceding for, for the, whatever it is. But here's where we got the next verse. So he falls on his face. Verse 5. And he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying... Now, I, this is not in the, in the Bible. 
But when I get a picture of this, I see Moses falling on his face. But if you fall on your face, do you talk to people generally in that position? What do you, if you fell on your face, what would you do next to talk to somebody? I would get up. I would look at them. That's what I would do. I'm going to kind of guess that this is what Moses is doing. Moses has fallen on his face, praying, and got something. And we're going to see what he got. And then he gets up, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses. See, that's the part he's missing. Korah didn't have this part. You've got to be chosen. Sometimes we don't like the ones that God chooses. It don't matter if you like God's choice or not. What's your, what's your role? Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the enemy. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will cause to come near to him. The one he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all your company. Put fire in them, and put incense in them before the, before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. <laughs> he's, he's saying, you don't, you don't know what you're getting into. You do not know what you're getting into. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to him to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve him? Most people who get into the area of rebellion and decide to go after someone else's position have lost sight of the importance of what they do. How does a person lose sight of the importance of what they do? The enemy sneaks in and begins to tell them people don't respect what you do. People don't like what you do. No one's receiving what you do. What you do is having no effect. And if you take these things in and you meditate upon these things, you begin to become dissatisfied with what you do. And then your eyes begin to roam and you look around for someone that people receive from, from that people like, and so forth. And then you begin to envy their position. And then the enemy begins to put, plant seeds and plans of how you can take that position, how you can be in that position, and you think it's all from God. Because everything so far has been of spiritual consequence. You see how the, the trap forms? And Korah fell right into it. Now Moses sees the trap, which is why he falls on his face. Let me take you back to that verse. You go through the Word of God and you find a single time that Moses falls on his face suddenly that the congregation of Israel or people in the congregation are not in trouble. He sees the trouble and he immediately begins to intercede for them. Moses sees the trap Korah has fallen for and immediately begins to intercede for him and for the people. And when he comes up, he's given away for people to be redeemed from this trap. Verse 10, And that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you. Are you and are you seeking the priesthood also? See, they're not satisfied where they are. They want something different. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. Against who? Not against Moses, against the Lord. And what is Aaron? 
that you complain against him. So Moses comes up and he's got a plan for this thing. God gave him a plan. He's interceding and God gives him a plan. This plan includes with it a course people can take to get out of the judgment that is to come. And Moses sent to call Dothan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. It is a small thing that you have brought us up. Or I'm sorry, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Can you hear some, some thinking, some wrong thinking in there? So here's what Moses does. After they have this meeting and everybody goes home, Moses sends a messenger out to, not to Korah, to some of the people that are submitted to Korah. He can see from this, I can't steer Korah away. But he saw two of them and he felt like he could do something to help them. And so he calls them so that he can have, let's have a meeting. Come on up here, let's have a meeting. Let's talk about these things. He's trying to help them get out from the judgment of God. And here's what they say. We will not come up. This story always reminds me of the time we were, uh, we were in school. I wasn't there, but I, I heard about it. And there was a particular student during one of the meetings that they had. The Spirit of God was flowing. The Spirit of God was ministering. And Brother Hagen saw in the spirit realm, and he didn't say everything that he saw, but later on he would tell us that over the head of one person in the congregation was the cloud of death. He saw death over them. At that instant, when he saw this, he knew we could get this student out of this death. But he said, I would have to meet with them three times. On the third time, we would break through. And so in the meeting, he called this young man out. I don't know exactly what he said, whether he pinpointed the death cloud or he just said, there's, there's an issue. I'm not sure how general it was, of it it was. But in the end, he did say, I need to meet with you. I wasn't in the meeting, so I don't know exactly what he, how he said it. But he said, I, I need to meet with you. And so um, he had an open door. Can you imagine that? Open door. Brother Hagen says, come, call my office, schedule a time, let's sit down and let's talk. I'll tell you what, if I didn't have a problem, but Brother Hagen pulled me out of meeting and said, give me a call, let's talk. Glory to God. <laughs> I think before I even call over to the office... I would have been in the office that morning before he got there, sitting and waiting. What time do you have available? Oh, that would have been good. That would have been some... some but this, this person didn't do it. Didn't call. And students were going up to him and saying, did you call? Did you, did you set up that meeting? No, I didn't do that yet. Come on, you need to have that meeting. He said you needed, you needed to meet with him. It went on for, I don't know how, many, how long, days, weeks. I'm not sure how long it went on, but he didn't, uh, he didn't do anything about it. And he never went in to see Brother Hagin. Not for one meeting, not for two meetings, not for three meetings. He needed three meetings, and Brother Hagin said we can get him out of it. He lived in the student housing, and the uh, roommate had uh, some student housing. He lived over there, and he had a roommate. One day, his roommate woke up, and he was dead. Was it avoidable? Surely was. These folks are going to die. Is it avoidable? They would have met with Moses. What do you think Moses would have done? told them some things they could do to get out from, from under this. And they said, we will not come up. Are they submitted to Moses? There is no submission to Moses. They have moved out from that area of submission. Are they supposed to be submitted to Moses? Moses put him in charge of the children of Israel. They're supposed to be submitted. Whether they like Moses or not makes no difference. They need to be submitted in that way. 
They didn't do it. And then they become accusatory. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Brought us up out of? Isn't the purpose of Moses to bring them into? But what are they saying? You brought us out of a land of abundance. How did they get that idea? They were crying and moaning and complaining to God about being in Egypt. You brought us out of a good place into this place here to kill us in the wilderness. That you should keep acting like a prince over us. Can you see how many wrong ideas they have about Moses? But they've been meditating on this for a while. Someone's been feeding it to them. More than likely Korah. He's the head of the group there. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. They said it twice. We will not come up. Then Moses was very angry. Now, I don't know Hebrew as well, but I know that the Hebrew word for was can sometimes be become. I don't know if he already was angry or if he became more angry or whatever it was. Just understand this. At this point, Moses is angry. And said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. I haven't done anything to these folks. I haven't taken anything that they've got. So, they went a meeting, but they said, We will not come. Verse 16, And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they as well as Aaron. Here's what he's going to have them do. This is the plan that he's got. You guys who want to operate in the position that Aaron is in, you come on out, every one of you. Now you're going to bring your censers. Aaron's going to have his censers. And I want you just to minister before the Lord. Just go ahead and step into that role. Go ahead and step into that office. Minister before the Lord. Do what the Lord, what you say the Lord is telling you to do. Go ahead and just do it. Let's everybody out there. And whomever the Lord picks, that's it. So they're going to see Aaron ministering the way Aaron ministers all the time and is used to functioning in this anointing. But that's not going to deter them. Let each take his censer, put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Interesting how in verse 19 describes this, and Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Korah's got some influence. They went in an office they did not have. So Moses told them, all right, go ahead and step up. Step out into it. See, what, see how it works. I put this in your outline for you. What other people do may look easy to you, but it doesn't mean it is easy or that you would do a better job. Understand that. How many remember, How many baseball fans we got? You got any baseball fans? I'm not really a huge baseball fan. I, have, I, I am somewhat of a Phillies fan, but not this year. <laughs> but the Phillies had a player, who, and if I, if I just said his position, you would know who I'm talking about probably the greatest third baseman to ever play the game of baseball. Even you non-baseball players probably know who I'm talking about. Michael Schmidt. Michael Jack Schmidt. He, he, he was 
fantastic at his position. Hit home runs, played, played the, he fielded third base is a tough position to play. Those balls come at you hard and fast, and if you've ever played it, it's scary. It's scary in the lower levels. In the major leagues, I imagine it is, I've never been there. I cannot imagine a ball coming at me at the speed with which it comes at you there. It's, it's a nasty position, and you've got a long throw to first base, but he played this thing well. Here's the problem. Philadelphia never really fell in love with him for one reason. Philadelphia loves players that hustle. They love players that hustle. The Pete Rose types, the players that you can tell they're just laying it all out there in the field. The uh, Brian Dawkins types, the ones that they just, you can tell they are putting everything they've got into it. But when you watched Michael Schmidt play the game of baseball, he was so good, he made what he did look easy. It was not easy. But he made it look easy. Just because somebody can make what they do look easy doesn't mean that it is. I gave you some things here in your, in your outline. You don't have any blanks at the fill in at all. When you get into that thinking that what someone else is doing is easy, here's what things, some things that are involved. First off, understand. You understand everything about the position and what they face. If you look at it and you, you think it, that's easy, you're saying, I understand everything about the position, everything there is to know about playing third base, I understand it. And um, I understand what they face. I have total understanding of that. If you say what they're doing is easy, I can do that, you are claiming a greater understanding of what they do than they have. Isn't that right? There's the second one. Withstand. You could hold up under the assault of that position. Now, we all know what this one is like. How many football fans we got? Right, of the football fans, how many of you would identify yourself as a Monday morning quarterback? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Monday morning quarterback, yeah. You all know the guy who's back there, if he just could have thrown it this way, right? Why did he have to throw it into the ground? Why couldn't he have just gotten a little bit more air under it? Why did he have to throw it so hard? Why did he have to throw the interception? Why couldn't he hold on to the ball? Why did he have to fumble? Right? We've all said things like that. Because we feel like we could stand in that position and we could have withstood. How many have ever heard this? My grandmother can play the position better than that. Right? Yeah. You have never been in a place where five 300-pound linemen are trying to tear your head off. You have never been hit by a blitzing safety. You have never seen a game move as fast as the game does while the pressure is on and you're trying to accomplish all this stuff. You've never done it. But I could do that better. I wouldn't have thrown that interception. I would have hit the receiver because I feel like I could withstand all that stuff, but you, not a single person here has ever been under what one of those quarterbacks has been under. Not a single one. That doesn't help us understand them any better, does it? That doesn't help us when we're watching the game. Here's the third one, right standing. You're asked to do that or call... 
I've, I've totally, uh, I've reworded that, I guess, and I did not reword it right. But you are not called to stand in that position. You're going to have right standing if you are called to stand in that position. If you get somebody with a number, if you're a football, and you get somebody with a number 88 who says, I can do a better job playing quarterback, and he goes up and he lines up a quarterback, what's going to happen? There's going to be a problem because quarterbacks have a certain numbering. If you are not within that numbering, you cannot play the position of quarterback. I don't know if you're not a real good football fan, you may not know that. You can't just have a number and be on any place in the, in the field. Your number has to correspond with the position. And there's ranges of numbers for all the positions. So number 68 can't just line up and be a quarterback. How many number 68s play quarterback? How many, anybody can tell me one? There's no one out there, is it? No, the number 3, the number 5, the number 7, the number 6, the number 12, the number 11. There's a reason why, folks. There's a range of numbers that the quarterback can be. There's a range of numbers that a kicker can be. There's a range of numbers that an offensive lineman can be. There's a range of numbers for a tight end, wide receiver. They all have range of numbers. You have to stay within that. You are in a position. When you get out of position, it's just as bad as the wrong player in the wrong spot on a football field. You can't do it. Now, here's the problem with these guys. These folks don't operate in the area where Aaron does. They have not seen the equipment that Aaron uses. And so when they went out and they were making sensors, they had to make them that night. They had to get them ready over that night because they all didn't carry sensors. The Levites, Korah and his associates, didn't functioned in a certain section of the temple where the sin offering and things dealing with sin were dealt with. We've gone through the temple before. Any area that deals with sin uses bronze. Any area in the temple that deals with sin has bronze as the coverings, all the utensils, the walls, the altars, they're all covered in bronze. The bronze altar. All this sort. They didn't just not make them out of gold because they were going cheap. It was symbolic. Bronze is what you use in the area of sin. We don't find this out until later in the story. You will see it. They made censers out of bronze. Aaron comes along and Aaron's censer, because Aaron does not deal in the area of sin, so he deals with a different type of material. You know what Aaron's censer is made out of? Gold. So these guys made it out of what they are used to to step into an office that they're not used to. And so they bring before God censers made out of bronze. So you're bringing in, by that typology, you're bringing in the sin consciousness into an area where sin is eradicated. That's not good. So they came with brazen censers. Aaron with a golden censer. As we have you got in line here, brass is a type of judgment. Korah worked around the sin sacrifices for the people, and he served where sin consciousness was strong. Now, this isn't in your outline, but you'll see this. Rebellious people seem to be drawn to the judgment side 
of God. People who are in rebellion are generally drawn to the judgment side of God. They want to see God judge other people. Remove other people. Take out other people. Gold is a type of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It's a type of His finished work. It served where worship consciousness was strong. All right, let's go on to verse 20 here. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Who does God want to wipe out? The congregation. That would be all of them. So what does that tell you about where the people of the congregation have sided? They're on the side of Korah. Once again, it's uh, Aaron and Moses and, and a handful of others against the congregation. So God says, get away from this congregation. As soon as you get away, I'm going to wipe them all out. I am tired of this bunch and their rebellion. Then they fell on their faces. Why did they fall on their faces? Because trouble is coming. Does it sound like trouble is coming? <laughs> God wants to wipe them all out. So they fall on their faces. Oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? Well, has one man sinned? It started with the one man, Korah. He's trying to head it off with getting some of the other people and they weren't going to meet with him. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the congregation saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dothan, and Abiram. All right, we'll give you this. If they will move away from them, I will spare them. What happens if the congregation doesn't move away from them? They're wiped out. Then Moses rose and went to Dothan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Sorry about that, but just uh, jumped down too far. Still too far down. Okay, 26. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart now from the tents of those wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. If God says, don't touch their tents, don't touch their stuff, what should you do? Don't, if anybody touched their stuff, what's going to happen to them? <laughs> Judgment's going to come upon them. So they got away from, all, from around the tents of Korah, Dothan and Abiram. And Dothan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. Did these folks hear the same words that the congregation heard? Did they move away from their tents? What would happen if they moved away from their tents? Maybe they would have been spared. But they didn't. What did they come out and do? They stood by their tents. We're staying right here. We're not moving. These are our tents. <laughs> Is there a little bit of defiance in there? So Dothan and Abiram uh, came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives and their sons and their little children. Well, they didn't want to listen, did they? Now, Korah and his, his group, they're over there doing the incense thing. The, the censor thing. They're out there doing that. So that's why they're not here with this one. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me. Not that I'm holier than you, but that the Lord has sent me. Because this is the question here. Does God send you? By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, 
then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Do you just say stuff like that? Moses received this from God. God told him, this is what I'm going to do. You can have people get away from it, but if they don't, I'm going to open up the earth and I'm going to swallow every one of them up. So this is what Moses says. He's, he's sent. God is sending them. This is what's going to happen. He says, I'm putting everything on the line. I'm telling you right now, you've never seen this before. I've never seen this before, but we're going to see something new right now. And if we don't see it, I am not sent by God. Hmm. That's, that's pretty strong. So the earth's going to open up, swallow them up that belongs to them. And they go down alive into the pit. Then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Understand this, folks. Rebellion means, in the end, that you are rejecting the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. Swallowed them up. Can you imagine being there? How would, how would you respond? How would you, how, what would you do? If you were standing there in a big, big open field and the earth just opened up and swallowed up a group of people after Moses said it, swallowed them up with their household and all the men of, with Korah, and all the men with Korah with all their goods, so all the men with Korah who were with the rebellion, not Korah, all the men with him. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished among the assembly. Then all, the, all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. This is a little veiled, but folks, what they are doing is rebellion. What did Moses' words say? Get away. The earth is going to swallow them up. They got away. So now they're fearing because they don't know how to trust in God. They don't know how to trust in the things that the Lord has said. We better get away real far lest the earth swallow us up. Where are they going to go that's not the earth? Do we ever think these things through? No matter where they go, they will be on the earth. If the earth opened up there, do they not think it will open up here? Do they think the earth just did that? That we're in a weak spot of the earth and this little area over here is prone to it? If we run over here, maybe we can get away from the area that's prone to people being swallowed up? And, so while this is happening, and a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammers placed as a covering for the altar, because they present them before the Lord. Therefore they are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eleazar, the priest, took up the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who was not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Korah and his companions just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. So Moses has even said in this, in this story, in this passage, that he's not doing what he wills, he's doing what God wills. 
This is what you do as a leader. The more, the higher up you get as a leader for God, the less you do what you want, the more you do what he wants. Doesn't mean that Moses didn't have other things he wanted to do. It's just he's not doing it. Because he's in submission to that. But then Korah and these guys, they rise up. I want to do something different. And once you start doing that, you're following after the enemy. Because how did the devil rise up? I will ascend. I will put my throne. I will, I will, I will. Five I wills. That's what he's going to do. Um, we, we can't do these kind of things. We can't move into, into this kind of area. There was a story I was listening to uh, some weeks ago. I don't know that I shared it with you. I know I wanted to, but I don't know that I shared it with you yet. I wasn't quite sure if we're going to have time to get to it today. I'm going to try and get through this rather quickly. If I did tell it to you before, I could hear it 50 more times and still listen to it again. So um, bear with me as we, as we go through this. But Brother Hagen used to teach this. Now, I'd, I'm, I'm telling you this story from the, the um, uh, viewpoint of Brother Keith Moore. Brother Keith Moore shared this in uh, some service he was done, doing a couple weeks ago. And he was sharing this, this story from his standpoint because he, was, he had a different perspective on it than I had when I first, first heard the story. But when he, was going to, when he was in school, he said there was a particular move of God that was going on in the, in the, in the city, in the city of Tulsa at the time. And a lot of people were, were going over to this particular move because of some of the things that had happened. It was different. It was, um, uh, it, it was exciting. But it, um, it was different. And people were going on over there. And Brother Hagen, in a couple of the meetings that they had, had begun to share some things, not talking about anybody in particular, not pointing any fingers at anybody or calling out any churches or any, any ministers, but he began to teach some things from the Word of God that made it plain that what they were doing was not following after the pattern of the Word. If you, if you listen, you could pull that out. He wasn't pinpointing anything. And so uh, Brother Keith was listening. Now, here was the problem that Brother Keith was in. He said, I enjoyed what was going on in these other meetings. Did I share this with you at all recently? Okay, we're shaking heads and nose. Good. He enjoyed what was going on in these other meetings. And he wanted to keep going. And, but he's listening to this, and this is a, he's only been at Rhema about a year and a half, I think he said, at that point. He was just coming in, doing some things, helping out Brother Hagen, and, and doing some things. I think he already had a director from God help Brother Hagen, so he's already doing stuff in, the, in that neck of the woods. Uh, just doing, not, didn't know him personally or anything like that, but just was there to help out and uh, to do what was available to do. And so he was hearing this, but he continued to go on over the meetings. Other people on staff continued to go over to the meetings. And in another meeting, he began to share something else. And this is what he shared. He said, when I was pastoring the church, he said, we had these uh, meetings that would go on. And he said, um, the first one type of meetings that went on were these get free meetings. So we had get free meetings. And uh, we saw moves of God that uh, we we, we hadn't seen. And some you shouldn't have seen. For his words. And so we had these get free meetings. And then after they kind of came and went, we would have um, deliverance meetings. And so we would have deliverance meetings and we prayed over people and we saw moves of God that you hadn't seen and some moves of God that you shouldn't have seen. And then he said after that we had some loosening meetings. And people came out to get loose 
And we saw some moves of God. This is Brother Hagin talking. We saw some moves of God, some moves that you hadn't seen, and some that you shouldn't have seen. And he said, but after all this time, all these meetings and these years had passed, he said, I visited the home. And he said, the, the same people who came out to the get free meetings came out to the deliverance meetings. And the same people came out to the deliverance meetings came out to the loosening meetings. And he said, I would visit them in their homes. And he said, they were still under the same bondage, same problems that they had before all the meetings came along. And he said, this is what the Lord, I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure I got this for you. This is, he didn't share everything the Lord told him about this when he brought this to him. This is one of the things that was said. And I, I tell you, I keep pondering on this. Here's what he said. You are trying to get results through prayer that only my word will bring. Every time I hear that, I get floored by it. I was floored by it when I was in school when he said it. And every time I heard it since then, it's like, oh, yes, I know that. Yeah, you, we're trying to get things done through prayer that only the Word will do. Is there a case of that in the Scripture? Remember Jesus when he's battling the temptations of the, of the enemy? What did he chase the enemy off with? The Word, not prayer, huh? He was praying and fasting for 40 days. Then he encountered the enemy. How did he get rid of the enemy? The Word. The Word. We can take more time on that, but I'm not going to right now. You are trying to get results through prayer that only my word will bring. When we try and get results outside of the way that God has told us to get the results, can we describe what we're doing as any other way than rebellion? Because I am no longer submitted to the word. I'm no longer submitted to the head of the church. Now here's what, this is why I'm giving you this story from Brother Keith's perspective. This is what he shared about it. He said, there was a lot of people on the staff, when Brother Hagin shared that, realized what he was talking about. And some of the people on staff at Ramah left to go on staff or to go serve and go with his other, other move that was going on. Here's some of the things that they said. Well, Brother Hagin ushered in this movement, but it's the, uh, uh, the younger generation that's going to get... Oh, this is the example that they, they were using that then. It said, Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, but it took Joshua to take them into the promised land. We'll go back to the Word of God. Why did it take a Joshua? Because of the rebellion of the children of Israel. That's why it took a Joshua. That's why Moses didn't go in. Because of the rebellion. But that's what they were falling under. Now, here's what Brother, uh, Brother Keith was sharing. He said, I almost went. I almost went with, because I really enjoyed this other movement. I almost went. And that was only about a year and a half he was under Brother Hagin. He said, as it was, we stayed. And we didn't know it then, but we stayed, I think it was 18, 20 years. They stayed in Tulsa. They still continued to help them for years after that, but they stayed in Tulsa 18, 20 years after that. He said, if we hadn't stayed, we wouldn't be involved in the ministry that we're in now. In fact, he said, we probably wouldn't have survived if we hadn't had all the things that we were equipped with. And he began to, he tells the story, he tells some of the things that Brother Hagin did to equip him to get him ready, to, that some of the things that happened and all, the, all that sort of stuff. He said, we wouldn't have been ready. We wouldn't be doing these things. It was a tactic of the enemy to pull them out 
of what was going to get them ready to put them in a place where they would be diffused, be in rebellion, and be against the Word of God. You see how the enemy works? Now, we just took Korah, leaders that were mentioned, and 250 other people out of service to God, just like that. They were serving God, now they're not. Now they're dead. Just like that. It's important, folks, that we stay in submission, not in agreement, in submission. That's not always easy to do. We need to, we need to stay in that area of submission. We need to understand submission. We've got to have a better understanding of submission than we do, we do right now. The more we walk in submission, the more we can, the more we can figure this stuff out. Now, we're not going to have time to get into this now, but if you just keep on reading... If you go into verse 41 and into the next chapter, you would think after you saw the earth open up and swallow up a group of rebellious people, how many of you would think that would cure you for a rebellion? How many think that would cure you of rebellion for the rest of your life? How many think you would cure your rebellion for a year? At least a year. Anybody think it would cure you for rebellion for at least a week? It didn't work for a day. The next day, the congregation is outside of Moses and Aaron's tent accusing them of killing the people of yesterday. <laughs> How much power do they think Moses has? Accusing them of it. And another plague goes through and wipes out more, far more than on this day. A plague goes on. You know what Moses is doing when the plague goes on, killing the people that are rebelling against him and God? He intercedes for them. He sends Aaron out with the golden censer to help them so they don't die. <laughs> if we had time, we'd go into it. It's, a, it's amazing that we could do that. You would think, if you saw that, you would never rebel again. There they are, going right after it. It's something else. Folks, we have areas where we can be submitted. We just don't always understand where they are. And you need to understand what areas am I submitted in? What areas do I not agree on? Those are the areas where I'm going to grow. Now, when you get into your, into your, your work, you have a boss. How many of you all have a boss at work? You have a direct boss over you. If, I'm just going to pull the time out of the air. If you are due at work at 7 a.m., what time do you have to get to work to be on time? That is not a trick question. You got to be there by 7 a.m. If you need to be there at 7 a.m., show, show your hands on this one. How many like to get there 10 minutes early? Or, or, or even earlier. How many of you get there right at 7? Come on, be honest now. Get there right at 7. Right at 7 is when you're right on the, on the dot. How many of you end up on more often than not being 5 or 10 minutes late? Come on, just be honest with the whole thing. Just, you're supposed to be... But you're not. All right. Now, I know a little bit about your job. You raised your hand. But you, you're not, it's not really etched in stone. You're not etched in stone when you have to be there. No, I can do what I want. You can do what you want. All right. So don't, don't look at that one. I understand that. <laughs> That's why she's not there at 7 a.m. or whatever time because of the, the leak. She's also there longer when she has to stay and stuff like that. So I understand that about your job. I'm talking about if you have a, a shift to take. You have a time you have to be there. People depend on you to be there at 7 a.m. and you are not there at 7 a.m. You have caused a problem in the company. What will your boss do if you continue to do that? 
He's going to talk with you about this, isn't he? Probably going to talk to you on the first day. Probably going to get a little more stern. Eventually, if you keep showing up late, what happens to your job? It goes away. Right? We know it's important that we be there. If we have a shift job or we have to be there at a certain time for that, for that, uh, that thing to be there. It's not always do you have that. You may have a salary job and you, can, you have a little more leeway. But you can understand you've, at some point you've had a job where you were due in. I had different jobs. You know, you're due in at a certain time. I had a job over at Ken's Pizza where my shift started at 5. I was supposed to be there at 5. I was usually there at 4.45. I was sometimes there at 4.30 just to be there. I'd just sit out there, put something over because you're not supposed to sit in the, in the area with your, your work shirt on. I'd put something over my work shirt and just sit there. If they wanted me early, I would be there. If they didn't need me, I would sit there and wait until 5 o'clock came and we would get going. Later on, I had a job. I was working the, driving the truck and stuff like that. I did not have a time to show up at work. But most times I was over at work at 4 a.m. in the morning. I'd work until 6, 7 o'clock at night. They didn't tell me when I had to show up. They didn't tell me when I had to stop. So I couldn't be late and I couldn't work too long. That was a different type of a job. But outside of your job, if you make a commitment to God to do something and you don't do it, is it less or more important? Is it, is it less or more important? It, it's, it's, we, we know it's more important, right? But look at the practice of what we as Christians do. We put more effort to being on time at work if we are due at 7 a.m. than we do to show up to do something for God. Isn't that right? Now, when you show up at work at late, you put pressure on your supervisor to have to speak to you. How many of you are supervisors? How many of you like to talk to people in your job about things they're not doing they're supposed to be doing? You all like that? You'd rather have people that you don't have to talk to, right? If you have to keep talking to somebody and keep talking to somebody, what's it going to do to you? You want to move them into another position if they don't, if they don't listen. They, they want to do that. But yet, we'll, we'll have like different groups here. What time are the ushers supposed to be here? We just use our, our place here. What time do the ushers need to be here? Our head usher was, what's in it? He called me up, told me he wouldn't be able to make it here today. But uh, what, time's the head, where's your, what time are head ushers, what time are ushers supposed to be here? Sometime before 9? I was going to say 9.30. I thought it was 9.30. Are there ushers here at 9 o'clock? Oh, wow. All right. Cool. <laughs> well, raise the head usher. He's supposed to be here before you guys are? All right, so what time are all the ushers supposed to be here? Before 10. Man, he's kind of lenient. I was thinking 9.30. All right. If, let's just say we have a time of 9.45. And if the ushers continually come in at 9.50, 9.55, what's that do to Ray? Ray's got pressure. I've got to go talk to these guys about getting here on time. Right? At Sunday school. What time are the Sunday school workers supposed to be here? We don't have any Sunday school workers over here. You know why? Because they're all over there in Sunday school. Wait, Lamar's here. Lamar, Lamar, do you have an idea? What time are Sunday school workers supposed to be here? About 9.30. About 9.30? How are you supposed to be here at about 9.30? <laughs> what time is... Let's just get, get another group. We'll go find another group. more. What time is the worship team supposed to be here? Phyllis isn't here. 8.45? I thought it was... I was going to say 9 o'clock. I thought they were supposed to be here at 9 o'clock. Are they supposed to be here at 8.45? 8.45? 8.45? 8.45? 8.45? 8.45? 8.45? 8.45? 8.45? 8.45? 8.45? 8.45
All right. How many people are here? Eight forty-five. Really? <laughs> uh -huh. All right. What happens to the worship team if people aren't here when they're supposed to be here? Things aren't going to get done, right? And then pressure comes in. And then pressure comes in to cause the rest of the time to not go as smoothly because we, they have it mapped out. What happens at worship practice? What time does is, is worship practice start? 6.30, 7? 7? What happens if people don't get here until 7.45? Is there pressure? Sure there is. Now, people say this to me. I'm not just picking on worship team or children's church or ushers. And, uh, people say to me all the time, why do I, as the pastor, get here as early as I get here? It's simple. I've made a commitment that I'm going to spend so many hours in prayer to get ready for this morning. I've made that commitment. And so every time, my alarm is set to wake me up at least by 2.30. At least. Now, most times I wake up before it and I get up before the alarm. But it's set to be here at least at 2.30 because my morning is mapped out. I have this set aside for prayer. I hit the bulletins at this time. I have about 30 minutes. I can do the bulletins in about 30 minutes. So I start the bulletins at this time and get them done over here. Sometimes I run into a problem with the printer and get them on that. And then after that, I take all the things that I've done because I don't, I don't write the outline until around 7, 7.30 in the morning. All week long, I'm getting stuff for the outline. All week long, I'm meditating on the scriptures for it. And in about 30 minutes, I can put it all down on paper. It don't take me long to write that. I put it all down on paper real fast and, and get it going. And I've got that down. Now, if I decide to sleep in, something has to get cut out. Right? Something has to get cut out. Something will get chopped. We're going to give you another example on this thing, too. We, the Sunday morning service. Do you know how much submission is involved in the Sunday morning service? We start the service at 10 o'clock. We have a guideline for every aspect of ministry that starts from 10 o'clock until we dismiss. We have guidelines for every single one. Every single worship has a guideline of how many songs they target and how much time they target. The offering ministry has how much time they will target. We have certain time that we allot for some type of ministry. Sometimes we use it, sometimes we don't. We have a certain amount of time that we allot for for the, the praise report on, on certain Sundays. We have a certain amount of time that we, in our mind, uh, block out for communion. Now, you have a service like today, and how many of y'all know worship went over? Worship went over. Did you see me get up and say, hey, hold on a minute, stop, it's my turn? I'm not going to do that. Why? You see, because the whole thing is involved in submission. So what happens is, in the beginning, I give the worship team the guidelines of which to work. But they also know, all right, 30 minutes is the guideline. That's our 30, 35 minutes. That's what we shoot for. If you guys feel the Spirit of God moving, I want you to go on. And we won't ever handcuff them on that. They, they can go on if they need to. If ministry is happening, why in the world would we shut that down? We can keep on going on. We can keep on happening. Having that. If, uh, we, and then we go into the, the offering time. And if the worship time takes long and the offering time takes long, I'm the last one up. Guess who adjusts? Guess who? I cut out. Remember how many were here Wednesday night? You know the stuff I said we got into? We didn't touch it. You know why? I adjusted. 
I adjusted. Got to adjust. Only you guys know what that was. <laughs> but this wasn't this story set up to take into it? You were there. Wasn't this story set up? Couldn't we just launch straight into that? You guys were there. We could just gone. Yeah, we could have just gone right into it. And we were gonna. We'll be fine. We'll get into it another time. But you see, we, we all adjust. But that's why it's important. When we put people over the worship team, we put people over the offering, when we put people over whatever ministry is going on, we entrust things to them. And so we expect that first off to submit to what's going on, but submit to God and flow with that. And if God is showing you to do a thing, then you can go ahead and do it. But if we do our own thing, is it going to be a problem? If I do my own thing, then what God wants to do won't get done. Now, we do some things in the, in the pre-service with the worship team and some others. The reason that we do it is to protect the anointing that is on you. The reason we want you here at 8.45 or not, whatever the time is, I don't need to know what the time is because I have other people that, that watch over that, that area of ministry. Oh, I forgot Ethel's part. We have, we have that all logged in there too. Ethel knows exactly what to do and how to do it. And there's some times that the anointing falls on her and she can get going on things. She knows what freedom, what liberty that she's got. And those kind of things will go on. And I'll tell you what, I thank God. There have been times that the folks, some of you folks who got up for the offering and you went over the five minutes. <laughs> but the Spirit of God was moving and you kept the Spirit of God, the things moving on it. And it was great. It was good. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. See, that's a guideline. But if the, guideline, if, if the guideline is to always be here at 9 a.m., 8.45, and you are constantly not here at 8.45 and 9 a.m., it's no longer a guideline for you. Well, amen. If the Word of God says, Thou shalt not, and thou shalt, and you constantly don't do it, it is no longer a guideline. It is, it is something that you diverge uh, the, the, um, it's a divergent for you. It's not a guideline. You cannot leave a guideline unless it is a guideline. Right? You've got you to know what the guideline is. So in the morning, worship team, we're, we're trying to put you in a position to where you are relaxed, the Spirit of God is able to move on you, that sound check isn't a problem, that... Uh, uh, people aren't having problems with their instruments and we're not rushing around, that we have time for that prayer to get together, that time for that worship time to get together. And when you get up there, you are ready to minister. I've, we told you for years, I do a whole lot of things to protect myself on things. And you'll notice it. If I start Saturday night. I, stop, I don't do a lot of things on Saturday night that I would normally do maybe some other nights. And Sunday morning, I've told you a number of times, some people listen, some people don't. But there's some things that you can go over with me after church that I really won't give you the time of day for before because I don't get pulled out of that. Now, here's what was my position. When I was an assistant pastor, one of the things that I did, my office was right across the office of the pastor. One of the things I did was to make sure that people didn't bother him with anything. He never asked me to do that. I took that on because I realized people were bothering him with a lot of stuff. And so I began to head it off. He did appreciate it. But I began to head that off. But here's what I learned. If I only catch people at his door knocking and stop them there, he can still hear what's going on inside. And we have failed in keeping him from these things becoming part of his mind. 
I had to come up with a way to how do I stop people from not going to the door? How do I get them to do that? And so what I had to do was to deal with some people lightly at first. I appreciate you doing it. You know what? We're trying to keep Pastor away from these things. If you have any need at all, any need at all, I want you to come tell me before and I'll make sure we get done what you need to get done. That's the first time. You know what happens the second time? Remember that conversation we had? <laughs> I think you forgot about it. But uh, it's really important that you, that you, that you come to me and, and, and talk to me about it. Okay. You know what happens the third time? I'm not so nice. I was not nice on the third time. It was, and I didn't care who was around. Because what, what my goal was is to stop people from coming to the door. So I would deal with them a lot harsher. And I would let people around hear it. And then word got around. You better not bother pastor before church. Because Steve's going to get you. I wanted to fear Steve on those folks. Because I learned that this is how we're going to stop them. And eventually, no one bothered the pastor before church. He could come out of his office. He could walk up to the stage and no one would ask him a thing. They, would, they wouldn't do it. I made sure of it. That was my goal, to protect his anointing. Protect him not having to be mindful of these kind of things. See, we're trying to protect the anointing that's there. It's imperative that you get on board and that you all help out with that. Because if we are not there, we cannot accomplish what, what goes on. Now, my job is a whole lot easier than folks in the worship team. You know why? Or, te- or ushers or people that are teams. Because all I have to do is get one person to the office on time. That's it. Just one person. That's it. You, how many people do you have to get for the worship team? How many folks do we have on there now? Three, four, five, six, seven. You, get, you got a lot of people, and you got to get them all there. That's a lot harder. But what happens if something comes up and you diverge off of the guideline? What should you do? I'll tell you this. This is what I got most of the time when people would come to the pastor's door and knock, oh, I know I'm not supposed to talk to the pastor before the service, but this one thing came up. But I forgot to ask him this yesterday. These are the, these are the cases when I'm here. But all the time is, they didn't do something. And so they want somebody else to come out of their realm to help that. No, don't be doing that, folks. If you are late then just be late. If you're in the worship team and you're not here in time, then just don't, don't be part. Just sit back. Worship from out here. If you're an usher and you're supposed to be here at 945 and you show up 950, what should you do? If you're in a children's church and you're supposed to be a children's church worker and you're not there on time, come on, folks. Why do we put the pressure on the person who is over the ministry to have to deal with something on a Sunday morning? Well, amen anyway. If you can get a hold of this stuff, it'll help you out in your life. If you don't, it's gonna, you're going to keep being in the same spot. You've got to understand this is an area of submission. And the reason you have not gained authority over the enemy is because you have not gained in submission to God. That's the reason. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the enemy. And he will flee from you. But there's not a, not a whole lot of fleeing going on, folks, because there's not a whole lot of submitting going on. We only do the area of agreement. If I agree with why I should be here, if I agree, then I'll do it. But if I don't agree, then I won't. It's not submission, so there's no growth and there's no victory over the enemy. The areas where you are are giving you an opportunity 
to grow. Grow. Remember before when we were doing praise reports? Way back? We had people who come up and we had people give praise reports. You remember those days? It's been a while. How many people did we have who came up and gave praise reports? One, two a month maybe. So you know what we did? We took it to God. I said, God, what can we do? I want, I want to have praise. I want people to know that God is moving. And this is what he gave us. Have them write it down. Have them read it. Since we have done that, how many praise reports do we get on a Sunday? Nine, ten. I mean, sometimes we have low three or four. Sometimes we have what last Sunday we had, what, a dozen of them? That was good. But we can't be moving into exceptions, folks. When you come in, write down your praise reports. Why? Because that's what God gave us to increase it. Did it increase it? It increased it. And you know what? We get them all recorded, and the people who are next door get to hear them. Because they don't get to hear them. We, we make sure. Daryl knows, record the praise reports. <laughs> and we keep them on the recording. We put them up there online so that people can hear what's going on because we have folks that are ministering next door don't get to hear these things. And they look forward to getting to the end of the, and hearing the praise reports that go on. So whenever we're doing something, even if you don't like it, even if you don't agree with it, what's that mean? I got room to grow. I can grow in my submission. Well, there's a lot more we can get on in this, but our time is, is, uh, is short. We can get into some more later on. Can you, can you understand this? Lots of shoe on here today. Could have been a whole lot more. <laughs> well, we're going to get into that Wednesday night stuff eventually. I'll tell you what, I really want to get into that. I wanted to get into it on Wednesday, but I knew that wasn't the, the, the spot for it. But we'll get into, into some of those things. How many of y'all know I can grow in submission? I know I can. Folks, if you cannot grow in submission, then you are not growing. Because the more you operate in the... Nick and I, mind if I share this? Nick and I were... He, he asked me a oh, fantastic question on Wednesday night. Fantastic question on Wednesday night. Can we get to the place where we, uh, where we always agree with God? Wouldn't it be great? I think, how did you put it? Isn't it best if, we, if that is our goal? That's a fantastic question. I jumped on the inside when he asked. I said, oh, this is so good. <laughs> That's a great question. How many would think that we should grow to the place where we always agree with God? Let me tell you this. If Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was not at a place where he completely agreed with God, there is no hope for you. Now, here's why there's no hope. Because the more you grow in submission, the more your Father can trust you and the more He can challenge you with so you will always have a challenge in the area of submission. But if you do not suffer, you will not grow and God cannot give you any more challenges. Any more. How many of you are doing things like Paul? Moving out in the areas like Paul did. Moving out in the areas like Peter. Moving out in the areas like John. Then we got some room to grow, don't we? Those folks were submitted. Moses. How about Moses? He was submitted. I'll tell you why. I can keep going. That's all, all day. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we just thank you. You are helping us to grow. You are helping us to develop. And I give you the praise and the glory for it. Father, we thank you. We want to grow in the area of submission. We want to be used more by you. 
I thank you, Father, for the help that you give us to do these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I did leave some things off your outline. If you want to want to get this, you can put it in there. Don't speak to what you do not know or understand. Don't speak to what you do not know or understand is what you're missing. We'll get more and explain that uh, as we get to the, the part here down the down the road. Boy, look at all. There's so much in here I didn't get into. Sorry about that all. Do we have some praise reports? Where's our... Um, Where's our microphone? Is it up here? It is up there. Okay. Over to God. Got a couple more. How many of you are sitting there going, ouch, 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 ouch? Oh, man. I, I was saying ouch all ouch, kinds of times. Ouch, you do not ouch. know how many times I'm saying ouch. <laughs> you know, I, but I love this topic. But it, um, one thing that I, I wanted to add on to that is the whole area of submission comes back down to me. Comes back down to my pride, getting rid of my pride. And wasn't that the very thing that caused Satan to lose his position and that God could not use him? When you're asked to submit, say, yes, thank you. <laughs> um, okay, this one I just got from, from Chris here. Both of her sons, Scott, got a new job, and um, Ryan got a new job, and Megan is now working part, Morgan, I'm sorry, part-time, right? And that grandbaby's doing just awesome. Praise God for that. I love grandbabies. Um, okay. Now it says he was battling with a lower back pain since a few days ago, um, but decided this morning in worship that I had had enough. Hallelujah. I made a decision to worship God and not listen to my body. It was, was good and <laughs> better than ice cream on any day. And if you know Naz and how much he loves ice cream, that's a good thing. It says also I got a coupon from a nurse at a hospital that I went to visit an employee for free parking in New Jersey. Hallelujah. I like those little freebies. Vanessa says, I'm thanking God for strengthening me and giving me, um, being with me through the illness and death of her aunt and through the planning of her homegoing service. I also thank God for my loving husband, Keith, who stood by me throughout everything and for the prayers of my church family. And I hear that was a beautiful service, too. Okay, Sharon said she had a pain on her right side last night and this morning, but during worship, it, it was gone. Praise God. Also, we thank God for our son, Josiah who is 23 years old today. Come on up here, birthday boy. <laughs> oh, he is such a blessing to our family and to our church family. Amen. I just want to give you a happy birthday hug. Come here. Happy birthday. I wasn't supposed to be in the prison. <laughs> happy birthday. We, you know, I could make us stand up here while we sing. No, sing you could <laughs> Okay, Sandy Kropowski. I don't know how many of you met her, but she's a friend of Susan's. She said, I came to Pastor Jane and Tammy's service expecting de deliverance from my compulsion to drink. She got totally delivered from it, and she got refilled with the Holy Spirit and hasn't touched any beer since June 7th. Um, she said, I feel so filled with the Holy Spirit. I also came to that prayer and healing service expecting to lose weight and I didn't, that I didn't want to carry. She said, I have since lost 10 pounds. Hallelujah. She said, I've been listening to um, Pastor Jane's tapes almost every day. I'm praising God, praying constantly in tongues, and being super bold with handing out gospel tracts daily. She said, I'm so alive and functioning in the Holy Spirit's unction and power. Hallelujah. I'm going to praise God every day, pray in tongues every chance I get, and seek the lost with my heart on fire until the Lord comes back. She says, I also want to, um, should I bless my mentor and friend, Susan Reinhart, for helping me find deliverance. Amen. Praise God. Those are good reports. 